and we are kicking off episode number 13 here on the Let's Be Frank video podcast. I'm your host, Jason Dewey. Very excited to be talking about everything in football with you today, whether it be high school, college, or the Saints. I'll go ahead and bring on head coach Frank Moniker. Coach, another big weekend of high school football and college matchups. Some unpleasant surprises for some teams in Louisiana, but uh, some triumphs as well. But let's dive into some of this high school action because semifinal week is this week and have nine uh, nine divisions worth of solid – eight divisions now, I should say, of some really solid football. And can't wait to, to look at some of these matchups. No question. I mean, you find out the guys that, that ate, ate the turkey or who were turkeys uh, because there was some – now he's down to the final four, and that's always an exciting time because uh, – and, and some, sometimes the, the, the seeding works out pretty good, pretty accurate. Sometimes it doesn't. We'll go over that. Well, first in the, the non-select side, we have Zach, the number five seed, taking on the number one seed, Ruston. Ruston, from what I understand, is a – Huge football team. I haven't seen him on tape, but I understand a lot from him. But Zachary is very talented, very skilled uh, football team also. So uh, then, then you have number 10, Westgate, was a surprise winner against Destrehan. And you know, Destrehan had escaped a narrow, narrow win. Uh, East St. John went, went for two. And I think that they thought they're doing the, the best thing. But, you know, you know how I feel about, about going for two in a situation like that because I want my offense and my defense to play. If we're going to lose – all 22 are going to play, not just one play on the coach's, on the coach's decision. Uh, but, uh, you know, we always said all year long how talented Destrian was, but they almost got their hat handed to him the, the other night. Uh, moving down to D2, uh, North Dakota, the number four seed to take on Iowa, who was the number one seed all year long. Uh, for what we understand, that, that, that probably will go that way. Uh, but North Dakota also, I mean, from what we understand, can really score points. And then you have, you have Lutcher, number six seed against West Feliciana, the number two seed. But uh, I think this is this is deceiving because West Feliciana has not played a tough schedule at all, where Lutcher's been pretty much battle-tested and, uh, and you know, that they, they, they blew out a Lakeshore team the other day that I thought was going to give them a better game. But, uh, you know, uh, I just think that that quarterback is just, is just unbelievable. So uh, I think Lutcher's going to be headed for the Superdome myself, even though West Feliciana is 12-0. Uh, D3. Uh, same parish. Here's your, you got St. James, the number four seed, playing against the number one Manny. Now, Manny, I know, is loaded, but uh, St. James has some speed that can keep up with him. The only thing I, uh, St. James has been giving up a lot of points, and uh, so I, I don't know how that's going to work out, but um, but Manny's going to be awfully tough to beat, especially up there where they're headed. Uh, number seven, Amy against Union Parish. Number three, Coach Spatz at, at uh, Union Parish. He's, he's always got a very physical football team, got a great running back. Up there, so uh, and and you know who knows? I mean, a meet uh, when you play for a meet, you have to be a tough tough guy, or you don't survive there. So uh, that could be a that could be an interesting matchup too. But seven versus three, Division Four, Old Grove and Old Grove against Haynesville. You know, Old, Old Grove being an eight seed playing the number five seed at Haynesville. Yeah, you go back and look at at, at all the history when Red Franklin there, Haynesville been in the Superdome. I don't know how many times. But they've been a lot, a lot of appearance. So those kids and those fans, they expect that. And then you have number three, Magnum and Homer. It's a number two Homer. So basically, that's when the power ranking works. When you see number two and number three end up in the semifinal ball game. And uh, the number one seed is no longer there in, in that particular division. Uh, moving on to the select side. At the very, very top, you have Brother Martin and Karen Crow. Karen Crow, number eight seed. And Brother Martin, number 13 seed. And the, the, the Brother Martin is... Beneficiary, I think, of a great, great draw. 
Uh, they, they got by St. Augustine. They will now play the third, actually, public school in the playoffs, and they have a very, very good chance of making it to the Superdome. Uh, after that, you have John Curtis, the number three seed, playing Catholic High, who's the number two. So that's how you expect it to work out. Catholic High is Catholic High can, can play three phases, and so can Curtis. So that could be an excellent, excellent game. But Catholic High just might have just a little bit more season, and uh, they they have they have they're more balanced. Their offense can throw it, and they can throw it deep, and they can run it. So. And, uh, but uh, the, the bottom line is they still have to stop John Curtis. Uh, Division two, E.D. White and St. Thomas More. Uh, E.D. White being four seed, St. Thomas More being, being the one. Coach Hightower's got, I don't know, he's got 350, 380 wins. And, uh, I mean, a big program, a lot of kids out for, for football. So uh, it's going to be hard for E.D. White to overcome them because E.D. White's more one-dimensional than they are. Uh, then you have Lafayette Christian, big winner over De La Salle last week. And didn't surprise anybody because Lafayette Christian is loaded with speed. They're the number six seed. They're going against uh, Turley's the number two right there in Lafayette. I mean, right across the right across the interstate from one another. So that could be a very interesting, uh, interesting battle. But uh, look for Lafayette's speed to, to actually overcome here. Division three, uh, University High, number eight seed versus Dunham. Now this is this is right across the street again. A, a two schools that not that far apart. They're within you know a ten miles of one another. A University of High dismantled Newman last week, and uh, I think they, they they picked off Manning, and and I think he threw for less than less than uh, fifty yards in that ball game. So that could be that could be a real good matchup. But uh, it's going to take a lot for Dunham to defeat them, even though University of High played some real high power guys early. And that's why they ended up being an eight seed. So they were sleeper down there, just like Carr was earlier. Uh, D four, you have St. Martin's versus Vermilion Catholic. Uh, St. Martin's number four seed versus the Vermilion Catholic number one seed. That's how the bracket should work. Uh, basically, it should end up like that if everybody holds whole serve. And in this particular case, of St. Martin got a great running back, but I'm, I'm afraid that the 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 their Road to victory has come to an end because they have to go to VC and they're awfully big and talented. Uh, and then the next game, you have Ascension Catholic, number ten against Washington Christian. Ascension Catholic is really playing well. Uh, they, they played, they beat Riverside early in the playoff section here. And uh, Washington Christian has always been there; it's been a, a dome contender for a long, long time. But uh, don't be a bit surprised to see Ascension Catholic. Give them a tussle. This is game is probably a game that uh, if you had to predict the overtime game, this could this could be this could be one for sure. You know, uh, I jumped over Division Three and uh, and uh, I jumped over Division Three and I jumped over Notre Dame. Sorry about that, guys. Notre Dame and St. Charles, who's my school, and uh, this is a matchup that has happened. Now this will be the third year in a row that we've met Notre Notre Dame in the semifinals. Uh, we've we've met them several times in the past, and it's always a big, big ball game, tough game. It comes down to a, a, one particular play, and normally in the past it's been a special team play. And uh, Coach Cook is, you know, Coach Cook. Is, I don't know. If we, he, he keeps saying this is last year, but he said that for ten years. So I mean, the, the, he's going to play St. Charles and, and and Coach Stein in that in that group, and uh, they don't they're they're healthy. And I think that they're ready for this this ball game. It's going to be a heck of a battle, though, because uh, uh, I think that what Notre Dame what Notre Dame does well is that they execute and they will tackle. And uh, and so you're going to have to be in position to, to beat them. They're not going to give it away. It's a team that you're going to have to beat. So that should be a real real good game. 
But, uh, you know, going back, I think that's a that's a brief um, rundown on that. And then we go to the college. Jason, are we ready to go to, to college, LSU and Texas A&M? Yeah, I want to mention a few things real quick, though. You know, Coach, we okay. talked about some of the matchups that uh, that you did. Destrahan okay. is a team that I got to watch up close, Coach, and I think um, a lot of people are kind of sleeping on Destrahan because they had one rough game. But we kind of mentioned off air earlier uh, in passing that I think Destrahan is every bit of their billing. I think they caught an East St. John team that was very hungry at the wrong time. It, they were a little bit banged up this past week. They had trouble in their passing game where they get most of their chunk yards, and I think that had something to do with it. I still truly believe that Destrand is one of, if not the team to beat in uh, in these brackets. But one thing in, that's interesting, Coach, there are three teams that have never made a semifinals before. It is Iowa, North DeSoto, and St. Martins, and two of those schools will play for a chance to make the state title. So um, an interesting uh, thought going as we head into the college football section as uh, the first game that we're going to talk about is uh, it was rough to watch. Uh, regardless what your perspective is on the program, LSU falls to Texas A&M 38 to 23. Coach, we talked about it last week. We said this is a silly talented Texas A&M team. They've kind of been reeling, but you are playing in a rough environment. And Texas A&M has talent. They just haven't put it together all year. They certainly didn't have trouble putting it on display Saturday night. Between just hard nose running the football right at this defense, and you mentioned they couldn't tackle. And I think that had a major impact. And LSU lacked intensity and focus, it seemed, in that game. And A&M was full of it. They had nothing to lose, everything to play for, and they showed up. Yeah. I, you know, I got to go back to what Coach Kelly always talks about, the process. And I think that we're a little, they were a little bit too core in here in relying too much on the process. I think that in this particular ball game, had it been me, I'd have been with more rah-rah, said, get off your butt. And said, Guys, said, we need to get after him because you get your butt kicked. And I think that they went into the game being a little passive and say, well, what we've done up to this point, all we got to do is keep doing the same thing. But they needed a little bit more energy because there was so much at stake in this ball game. Regardless, forget about the Georgia game, but this is the game was even more important because it's because I thought that even if you lose against Georgia, you're supposed to lose that game. But this right. is a game that you're supposed to win. So I think they went into that game without a, a lot of rah-rah. And they, they depending on, well, Daniel's going to be the same thing and everybody's going to do the same thing they've done because we believe in the process. Well, that process did, did not bring any attention. You said it just now. And you can always tell when a team, and I hate to use this term, flat. Let's call it unemotional. You can always tell that one sloppy, sloppy tackle, drop passes. When Lacey drops those two passes, one on the first drive, which is huge right. because that that, that that stops the drive. The second was another. Two easy plays. I'm not asking to, to lay out and make phenomenal catches. Two easy plays. And then and then even with that, when, when Daniels missed the, the read and not give the ball off to Emory and kept himself and caused the fumble, and not only was it a fumble, you know, it, it ended up being a scoop and score. So with, with all those things, then it snowballed after that because really Texas A&M, the quarterback's a freshman, we made him look, LSU made him look better than what he actually was. And the running back is good. But again, remember those things, sloppy, sloppy tackling, that, that all, that's all signs of, of a team being unemotional. Feel badly for him because Coach Keller did a phenomenal job there. And I mean, you know, but pats on the back, soon become kitchen and seat of your pants. And, and you know, I, I, now everybody's questioning, well, what kind of game are they going to give George? Let me tell you something. If they decide to bring it, I think George's defense can be exploited if they decide to bring it, because they've had some close calls in games that shouldn't have been close also. 
you know, and, and then, and uh, remember about, I think the quarterback Stetson uh, Bennett, I think he's really good. He's good at, at, at ball control pass, but he's, he's short. I think if you put pressure on him and keep him contained, he's not going to run the ball. Through. That means that else you could probably use coverages like two-man, which is a common cover when you get a quarterback that can't run and stuff like that. But they're going to have to, they're going to, have to do a lot better job of tackling and being prepared in this ballgame. But I do think they can give Georgia a tussle. Georgia's not going to look at them as being a viable opponent, you know, but they realize that they have to win too to make sure that they stay in the top four, which they will, regardless of what happened, they'll be in the top four. But anyway, uh, let, let's move on, Jason, to, to Tulane in, in Central Florida. So Yeah, and uh, in that matchup, Tulane, of course, defeated um, <coughs> Cincinnati 27-24. to 24. Uh, a, a huge win for them on the road, broke a massive home winning streak for Cincinnati, and that was a big win for this team. And, of course, the, the bigger overlying factor is not only did that, did that ensure – that Tulane will play in the title game, but also host the title game, which is a massive advantage, seeing as they're going to get UCF at home once again. That revenge factor comes into play here, and we know that this team is going to be ready. They've coached what we discussed, I believe it was yesterday, that Tulane it, it has had almost every major call in their two biggest matchups go against them, and yet they found ways to not only be competitive – this past week, but to find a way to win. And UCF, uh, like I said, that was a, a an egregious fumble call, in my opinion, that they missed and it ended up costing them the game. But regardless, this team doesn't let those types of plays impact them or phase them. They continue swinging. They continue throwing punches and finding a way to not only be competitive late in games, but to be sitting here 10-2 and two today. Well, let me say this, Jason. I don't know if there's a better coach team that does all the little things that you don't see behind the scenes that coach Frisch handles and he handles a lot of it himself. I mean, he turns over the play call into the offense coordinator, defense coordinator, they call the defensive signals also the special team guy, but he's got his hand on everything and that they're well coached and little things. I mean, uh, they don't turn over the ball for the most part. And if they don't, I mean, they'll, they'll beat central Florida. That's, that's important. That, that hurt them last time, uh, you know, playing against them, but they do all these little things. Their special teams in comparison, their special team compared to LSU is, is a joke. I mean, their return yard, punt return yard, the kickoff return. They call those, the coaches call those hidden yards. LSU gets none of those. And I mean, but, but Tulane's got a punt returner. That's excellent. They got a kickoff returner that's excellent. Uh, they, 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 the kicker has, has been good enough, you know, so uh, for them. But but they play a little bit defense. They play a little bit offense, and they're sound on, on special team. And just came out that Coach Fritz now is – the, the word is now that the, they come to an agreement to stay at Tulane. I'm tickled pink, but I really thought that – I really think that one time he was he was going and uh, because I think that uh, Georgia Tech can offer some things that, that Tulane can't. Uh, I think I think Tulane would be silly to, to lose this guy, give him whatever he needs, whether it's through admissions or whether it's money or whether it's facilities, give him what he needs because he's a perfect fit for Tulane. And I'm telling you, if, if he had the talent that some SEC schools have, there's no telling he'd be in that Final Four group. But he doesn't have that same talent, you know. But he's got two fine linebackers, I will say that. And they make most of the plays. But uh, this guy is an excellent football coach and a, even a better person. Coach, I want to stay on this topic because I think you just opened the door for a, a really good question, which is I think you bring up a really good point because we discussed the other day, you had mentioned you really felt like he was going to take the job at Georgia Tech because the opportunity, Coach, had a Power 5 program. How much does the 
leave now, come to our program, pressure kind of dissuade some coaches for leaving because look, Coach Fritz has been to this program for a while. He's built it up to 10 and 2, and he felt like he wanted to see things through, especially mid-season. Coach, you've mentioned previously that you had an opportunity to leave Tulane and go coach at Arizona, but you want to see things through. And that wasn't even in the middle of the season. That was between seasons. So how much do you think that impacts these coaches on saying, look, I really want this opportunity, but I, I want to see this season through with my guys and you com therefore committing to that program for a longer time. I, I think Jason had not had this playoff game. I think he'd have left, but I think he wanted to play. And I think Georgia Tech, and I'm reading in between the lines, and I'm, I'm, I'm just guessing, but I think Georgia Tech wanted an answer right now so they can save their kids from the transfer portal. That's what I really believe. But I think Coach Fritz said, no, I want you these guys to at least coach them through this game, and I'll go after this game and uh, before the bowl game. I really think that had a, had a big issue in it. People, listen, I'm a big racehorse fan. One thing you do when you handicap horses, you look at a race that a horse didn't run well, you scratch that race. So last year, Last year, you got to scratch that season because they were, they were in Birmingham, had no dormitories, had no practice facilities, no coaching offices, and they're under, not staying in their own bed, you know, not eating the proper food and stuff like that. And then, and plus, they lead off at Oklahoma and Ole Miss. So I would I'd take last year and throw it out. They actually had a better team last year in terms of the personnel was concerned. So I'm tickled pink that he's, he's going, and I hope that Tulane does make a lot of concessions for him aside from the, just the, the, the financial contract. I want to see them. I want to see him be able to do some things through the admissions office because he can't get the same guy in that uh, SEC school can. So, but I understand that because I was there and I know we, I lived that. But yet on, on the flip side of it, if you had 85 guys that were, that were NCAA qualified, how is that going to hurt the other 10,000 that are on campus? I don't know. All right, coach, and uh, take a look at Idaho uh, dropping their game to Southeastern, which. Got to host yet another playoff game, a big win for that program, and now they get to go on the road to take on Sanford after their bye week. But what an exceptional job that they've done there at Southeastern. And you know, we got to talk to Coach Selfo just a week ago, and again, very proud of his program, and rightfully so. The, the job that him and his staff have done has been incredible, and it's awesome to see Southeastern be competitive, not on a bi-yearly basis, but in a yearly basis – they are not only making the playoffs, but making runs. They're winning their first game, which is the the biggest step. You have to, to get. Yeah, it's one thing to get there and get your foot in the door. It's one another thing to win when there's no looking back and there's no tomorrow. And they've done that multiple times. Uh, the kids are playing extremely hard for him. He's playing two different quarterbacks. They're playing hard. They they trailed that entire game until the very end. You know, and uh, you know it, that's I love this this playoff on that level. I wish they would have done that a long time ago in D one. And uh, his all this all these distractors that they still have not come to the conclusion when that's going to come about. And I think that's phenomenal. The interest in this is just phenomenal. And uh, they, they you know they build it up. They don't realize that if they had a D one playoff format with eight teams or sixteen teams, it would dwarf the Super Bowl and make tons of money. And you still can include all those bowl games. You still with this these two matchups could be the sugar and the orange and the cotton, the whole deal. I don't get it. I mean, uh, what do we've done in high school? What do we've done in, in, in literally nine and ten baseball? I mean, it's it's a playoff format. So um, look what baseball's done. It had a lot of interest, and the Phillies shouldn't even been there. 
So, I mean, they need to wake up and smell the roses. But uh, a tribute to Coach Self for what he's done, and I'm excited for him going to Sanford, and, and don't count him out because uh, they can score points. Yeah, and um, unfortunately, uh, switching gears to a team that couldn't score points, the Saints get blanked on the road, Coach. Um, they, they dropped their game to San Francisco 13 and nothing. And it, it seems like they just can't get things fixed no matter what. This is the first shutout they've had, and I believe it's been – Close to two decades. It's been a while. So what what do the Saints do from here? Because, Coach, the saddest truth is they're still in the hunt for their division title. And at this point, it's it, it losing does you no good because you don't have any draft picks in your back pocket. You, you only get the second-round pick. So it's not like let's drop as many games as we can to try to, to raise our draft stock. You've got to play for now because there's, there's no waiting for tomorrow to, to have this, you know, light through the tunnel. It's – this is what you are for the time being because you have all these players in long-term deals. Yeah, they, they, seven times they crossed the they crossed the fifty-yard line. They're on the plus side seven times. The plus side means they don't they're going in to score. The minus side is on the other side on your own on your own uh, fifty. But you know I don't understand that they they had to, a, a couple drop balls. You don't understand what, like an LSU game. Those two drop balls. That were momentum changers right there. And, uh, you know, I told you this before, Bear Bryant said the, the, a game has three big momentum changes in it. That you don't know when it's going to take place. And uh, But he has a couple drop balls. They're blaming Dalton for everything. I mean, you know, I guess uh, he's, he, he, they expect him to cure cancer. I don't understand it. But guys are dropping balls. And, and uh, you know, Camaro has two fumbles, uncharacteristic of him. Now, one of them, the second one, was a good shot. Uh, I get that. And uh, that didn't help. Even Lutz misses a field goal. I mean, you know, this guy's normally automatic. He's at 48 yards and stuff that, like that. But I really feel badly for him because they had an opportunity. Everything that could go wrong went against them. I thought the officiated that catch of lobby. I mean, what I don't understand with the officials, they have to explain to me. All you hear is about with the knee touch, the knee touch. They didn't even bring out the knee. And even the, I love the official in the booth, you know, and, and he's always wrong. You know, the, the guy in the booth and, and that, 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 that kind of guy, I said, you know, if, if, if he was a weatherman, we, you know, we'd have thunderstorms every day. But, but the, the bottom line, his knee did touch. And that, he, that should have been down automatically. Then the very last play of the game, the Saints offensive play, Bosa was a step offside. And step off, he ends up making the sack, and everybody gave him credit. But they never did show the replay. And how do your head lineman miss that? I mean, he, he should see that because that's his call. And I, I don't know how to see that. They, they didn't go back and replay it, but they, they congratulated the guy. I mean, to me, that, that, that official should be barred from another game. I mean, you, you put him on ice for a game or so because um, that's on the road. But anyway, the officiating, the officiating was not in, in, their, in their favor. And, you know, I love Dennis Allen. I love him as a coach. But every now and then, I think you need to be on the official's case. I know Sean Payton would have done that. He'd be on the case. Wait a minute. You need to question some things and be a little bit more adamant. And that doesn't come about crying. That's all about defending your your team because you work real, real hard to get there. Coach, I think we just found our uh, top one of our topics for next week because uh, we've been we've been holding back off of that one. We need to we need to have that discussion about how to deal with officials because you you had a very we'll say unique relationship with officials uh, over the course of the game. So I think we need to we need to talk about that one next week. But um, okay. again, they'll do it for our first segment. Um, we want to go ahead and thank our sponsor before we head to a break. Our, our title sponsor, Accardo and Dufresne Law Firms. Samuel Accardo Jr. and R.E.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and R.E.P. Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, 
business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. River Parish is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. When we come back, we'll have Rummel head football coach Nick Monica, and later on we'll talk about, uh, oddly enough, referees. Uh, we'll talk about the dwindling numbers in high school football in our Let's Be Frank segment. So remember, you're watching on Varsity Sports Now. Samuel Licardo Jr. and R.E.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Starting in 1981 as an industrial vacuum truck company, A3M Vacuum Services has grown to be an industry leader in waste disposal services. Whether it's providing cleanup crews for plant maintenance or emergency crews for environmental cleanup and disposable projects around the river parishes and New Orleans, A3M Vacuum Services maintains the same level of personal customer relations and work ethic that founder Pat Sellers started almost 40 years ago. Proud supporters of Comet Athletics. If you're looking for commercial or residential dump truck services, go with RK Construction. This family owned and operated business has great trucks and are big supporters of high school sports. Smoothie King LaPlace thanks the community for 29 years. Through the good times and the toughest times, Smoothie King has been here to serve our guests. Whether you're looking for a keto-friendly smoothie, a recovery smoothie, or a healthy, refreshing snack, Smoothie King has you covered. Discover all the ways to be your best self and rule the day with Smoothie King. If you're in need of storage space at your home or business, stop by and visit with the good folks at Acadia LLC. Seth Boutron and his employees are there weekdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Give them a shout at 985-359-1333 or visit them at 1301 West Airline Highway in Laplace. Welcome back to the Let's Be Frank video podcast. We want to welcome our special guest, Nick Monica, head coach of the Roma Raiders. Coach, you've gotten a chance to coach under Jay Roth, and of course, you have a good relationship with uh, the old ball coach at St. Charles Catholic and uh, Coach Monica from back in the day. Um, you know, what's it been like to get the opportunity to learn and grow from coaches who are so historic in Louisiana high school football? Well, obviously, that's a, it's a, a huge advantage. Uh, 
just to have a lot of experience to rely on uh, from those guys. Um, you know, especially growing up with it, um, I think that's the biggest thing is just growing up and, and uh, watching how different things, uh, how they do different things. Uh, I was also able to, to play for my dad, so I think that has a lot to do with it. Uh, I was never – I never coached with him, so uh, just playing for him, I think, um, you know, taught me a bunch. You know, that – uh, Coach Nicholson, you know, I, I, I tell everybody the story about, you know, when, when you guys were growing up with Ty, your brother, your older brother, and uh, now the offense coordinator St. Charles and, and Wayne, your, your first cousin, uh, you guys were roommates at one time at ULL for at least a semester. And uh, y'all used to play football all the time, you know, played together in the 707 games and played in the league and, and the whole deal. I mean, and, and, but, but from the very, very standpoint of uh, football and coaching, you know, I not once thought that you guys would all go on to be coaches, and certainly that's something I, did, I didn't push. Uh, but thanks to your mom, who's your, your biggest fan, she's probably out there right now with her pom poms on, you know, because you because you're on, you know. So I mean, uh, you guys went went the direction of coaching, which which I I was actually against because you know I knew the hours with and knowing you right now, and you're a lot like your brother, and a lot like Wayne, you know, take it home with you, and uh, you, you just don't you just don't relax, but. Uh, I knew from the beginning that you guys had this innate thing about about uh, being a coach. Yeah, I uh, I think we were kind of like every other kid. You grow up thinking that you're going to play it forever, uh, but at some point it it says that you can't. And um, we knew we wanted to stay involved in athletics and sports, and um, that's what we loved and still do. And so that was our passion. So uh, if you can't play it, the next closest thing is to coach it and teach it. And um, you know, of, of course, there's uh, some negatives that you touched on and tried to keep it from, but, uh, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of a love and uh, excitement that comes from it as well. No question. I, you know, uh, I mentioned Jason last night about your, your background. I don't know if he knew this, but, you know, you, you actually started off, uh, you played baseball and, and football, and, and you was actually the quarterback at, at St. Charles Catholic High School, and you played second base and uh, middle infielder your entire life, and then you went on to ULL for – for a semester, and then you end up going to Wharton Junior College and on scholarship, played shortstop there, uh, had a real, real fine year. Then you, you end up transferring to LSU E and you made the playoffs, and then you ended up your career as a baseball player at UNO. And um, but then all of a sudden, when you got the rumble, you you assistant baseball coach, became the head baseball coach under Coach Bowdry, uh, and uh, then then after that, you went you went to to football. So that's a path that I actually followed. In fact, um, if I listen to your mom, I'd still be, be coaching baseball and not football. But what actually, how was the transition from, from baseball to football and how did you come to uh, come about with that decision? Uh, well, it's uh, to peel back even in high school. I mean, I, I tell kids this all the time. Actually, the sport that I enjoyed playing the most in high school was basketball. Um, you know, nobody even re remembers that. But um, I enjoyed all, all sports, uh, including basketball. But, um, yeah, I think because I played college baseball, I had a lot more familiarity with it. And, um, you know, so I, I felt more comfortable uh, stepping right into that and coaching that. And I was coaching the corners my first few years at, in football. Um, but as I, I grew in football and, and learned a little bit more of the X's and O's, I thought the mental side of that was um, a lot more challenging. Um you know, baseball, I think the thing that compares 
the most to uh, the mental side in football is calling pitches, and that's actually what I enjoy doing the most. Um, you know, because it, it is it is a, a mental part to it where you have to um, you know have a lot of educated guesses and try to outguess the hitter and outthink him. And um, I think football has a lot of those things in it, and, and that's ultimately what what kind of pulled me away from baseball and more into that. I, I I really enjoy the, the mental side of it and the, the challenges that come with it. And um, and then teaching kids, there's a lot more to teach in football. And, and I think when you spend that much time teaching those little things to kids and then seeing it pay off, I think it's it's just that much more rewarding. Yeah, I really, I, I've gotten at you to also point guard in basketball because you played, you played three sports. In fact, I remember you telling me uh, way back in May of your senior year, and it was right before exams that you senior year in May, and you said, Dad, today will be the first day, first day in four years that I go home right after school because you're involved with one sport to the other. And I never forget yeah. that, that, you, that, you made that you made that comment. But, Coach, you know, you, you were a quarterback, and, and, and uh, so what made you become – I know you played with uh, coach under Coach Jack Lord for a year or two there at Rumble before you became the defensive coordinator uh, where you guys had a lot of success on defense, but – what, what what made you go to the defensive side of the ball and not the offensive side? Uh, so that was the opening. Um, I, I really would have preferred to coach quarterbacks, but um, they didn't have an opening. The guy I was leaving was a corners coach. And so uh, that was kind of where I found my position. And then uh, jumped into special teams uh, pretty early too. Um, so I got involved with special teams early and, and coach corners and then, um, you know, started – uh, I guess as I got older and more comfortable with things, I, I got started to work a little bit more closer with uh, Coach Jack Law and some of the decision making and things like that. So that's that's when I really started to fall in love with the with the defensive side of it, and um, you know um, I, I, I've enjoyed it since. Yeah, I know that Coach Roth had a lot of confidence in you, and, and he was a coach, and he made you the coordinator after Coach Jack Lord was was gone. And then Coach, uh, all of a sudden, when Coach Roth stepped stepped aside, uh, you became the head coach, and uh, he he recommended you highly for the job. And and at the time, I said, be careful with that. I don't know, you were pretty young, and but uh, but you took the you took the job, and and uh, and I was a little concerned about it. But your first year there, you guys went. Was it thirteen and zero, and had a phenomenal from winning the state championship, and you know, had a phenomenal run. I think your defensive, I'm not mistaken, you have to correct me, had a number of shutouts. I don't think you scored until like game nine or something like that. You, can you recall that? Yeah, uh, week seven we gave up one, um, and then week eight we threw up another shutout. Week nine uh, was the the big national game against Curtis, uh, so we gave up a couple scores there, and then. Uh, week 10 was another one. So I think we shut out eight regular season opponents. Um, but I tell people all the time because they still talk about that defense. Uh, a lot of that had to do with we had seven of those guys started for three years. And um, they took their lumps uh, when they were young because uh, we had some kids that didn't belong out on the field at that time. But, um, you know, so they took their lumps and we grew up uh, watching them. Get be, become better players, and I think a lot of that had to do with just experience and understanding the scheme and and being in the right spot a lot of times too. But we're also fortunate that those kids grew up uh, physically and, and turned out to be pretty good football players as well. 
Yeah, man, you know, people don't realize that you also had success as, as a baseball. You, you played for the state championship on two different two different years, I think. I don't know if they're consecutive years, but played for the championship. And, and uh, in those days, it, it was not two out of three. It was just one one game. So, um, you know, there's a credit to you about what you've done with that and in, in, in two different sports. Uh, Coach, you know, this year, I noticed that your schedule was awfully, awfully tough. You know, you, you got six wins out of it. And, uh, you know, I'm one of those guys that said, you know, you look at the Catholic League, I mean, it's it's brutal. And then you guys, I think you started off with Washington Parish and uh, you end up, uh, you win that one and you, you beat U High. You end up losing the overtime game. No, you went for two, I'm sorry, against Scotlandville. And because uh, you were you at 4-0 up until that, that time. But, you know, I look in, in the playoffs right now, three of the four teams uh, that in the in D1 select playoffs you've played. And, uh, you know, so... Uh, you can kind of compare that. So, what's your take on that? About who do you think the of the four? Where do you think that's going to end up in the Superdome? Um. Well, I've obviously playing Catholic and, and Curtis, um, very similar. Actually, different styles, but similar. I think they're both both team strengths is their offensive line. Um, in, in fact, I've uh, talked to both coaches and kind of shared that with them, but. Um, I do think, I don't think it's a secret that the bottom side of the bracket was extremely tough, uh, due to Carr having to forfeit those games. It put them in a, in a stronger side. And I thought the two best and most talented teams played last week in the quarterfinals, which is a shame, but, um, uh, you know, it's going to be another good game this weekend with Curtis and Catholic because Curtis is, is just as good as those two. Um, uh, and then on the other side, Brother Martin from our district. I haven't seen Karen Crow much, just from stuff I've heard and read. But um, I think our league is tough, and, and so is Karen Crow. So both teams are pulling, coming from really strong districts. Um, and Brother Martin's, you know, they run, they're full strength. I know they made a couple changes on offense at the quarterback position to be a little bit more versatile with that receiver. Uh, but uh, I think they're going to be tough to beat. I think they – they're on the right side, had a good draw, and, and are playing pretty good football. So I think they're going to be tough to beat. And, um, you know, obviously I think Catholic is probably the most talented team, especially after beating Carr. Right. And let's go to the coach. Just, just talking a little bit about, like, I can't the schedule. You played that great schedule. You know, you, you beat you high on the road. You played Shaw. And uh, naturally you, you, you defeated uh, Brother Morton. That was, a, that was a big game for you. But, um, Coach, you – we got a, one of the best receivers in, in the world right now is Jamar Chase. And uh, who are some of the other guys that you have? I know you have several guys that are playing college ball. Can you elaborate a little bit on, on the guys from Rumble that are playing college ball? I know you got Stamps that's also committed to go to LSU. So who are, the, who are some of the guys that you have out there right now? Um, college, so Donovan Kaufman, he was the MVP in the 19 game. He's at Auburn. Uh, he signed with Stanford out of high school, and then I mean Stanford, Vanderbilt out of high school, and then his the guy, the head coach at Stanford was the DC at Auburn. So when he left, he took him with him. Um, we have a kid right now, Quentin Cage, who um, he went to Nichols out of high school, had a really good freshman season. I think he was even freshman All American. Then he went to LSU, um, and uh, he wasn't on scholarship, so he was allowed to transfer again. And now he's at UTSA, who just won that conference. So. Um, he's doing really good things for them. We got a corner, Gavin Holmes at Wake Forest. Um, I think this is his first full year of starting. 
Uh, I'm going to forget some people. Uh, <laughs> the quarterback Kobe, Kobe Field is at LSU. Evan Francione is at LSU. He's a receiver. Um, he was actually the captain for their last home game, which is good to see because he's a walk-on. Uh, Kobe Fields is a linebacker who transferred from South Carolina. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of people talk – Jamar gets a lot of the headlines, especially because he's an offensive guy. But uh, Christian Fulton's doing really well in the NFL as well. And those two guys went at it in the divisional championship last year in the playoffs. So that was fun to watch because uh, those two guys used to go at each other pretty good in practice all the time. Yeah. And the quarterback for ULL, he's he starting, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, Chandler, he's, um, you know, he's having a decent year. Uh, this is his first full year of starting. I think he um, he was the backup for a little while, but now he's back starting and it, it looked like they're going to get a bowl game now. Yeah. Coach, so the, the, you know, before I talk about the kids, uh, Landry and Logan, two girls that are really big, big cheerleaders at every ball game and, and, your, and your great wife, Casey, um, what do you see, what do you like to see changes as far as the things that might be we can do make the sport better one of my things i'm going to talk later on in the show i'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about about the you know numbers in, in football because as i go around the state and i watch different different players and different teams i see that numbers are sort of dwindling in the sport of football and some schools have still maintain their numbers but uh i see a, i see a lot of changes in the culture of what, what football is all about yeah, I, we're seeing it uh, for sure. Uh, one thing I do not like is, is this new rule that they they passed this recently. Um, that's it's not just four on ones year round anymore. So I know a lot of kids are playing year round travel baseball, and I think you know by allowing kids to play or to practice baseball with their school now year round, I think that's just going to pull more out of the sport. Um, we haven't really dealt with it. Our baseball coach does a really good job of, of working together with the football kids. He pushes them to football because he knows that how important it is and, and how much it helps him. Um, but I, I, you know, I didn't think that was a, a very good rule to pass. Uh, I think that's just going to pull kids out of other sports and, and more into the, the travel baseball, which has always drawn more and more interest. Yeah, you, know, you have that in everything now. I mean, you, you got that. In, you have that in basketball, and the girls are, are, are suffering from that with with the travel volleyball and things of that nature. And and uh, but it's more than one sport. And Coach Cazzo, I think, if he'd been a, a football coach in the past, he's got a background that I think he understands that. Well, Coach, uh, listen, you got to kiss the girls for me and Casey. Uh, I appreciate it that uh, you're taking your time. I know you still got a lot going on with the weightlifting and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, you know, you can always welcome here. You, I, I know you're going to show up when your mama cooks your beef stew and stuff like that, for sure. And uh, things like that. But uh, Jason, you have a question for, for coach Nicholas? Uh, just a, a football question real quick. You know, coach, um, a lot of people talk about the Catholic league and how strong it is. Well, what's one thing that you know from the inside that many people don't know from the outside about how difficult it is and why it's so difficult to play in the Catholic League week in, week out, in baseball and in football, uh, since you've coached in both? Huh. Well, um, I, I tell you, it's just – it's relentless. And um, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, people say it and they think it's coach talk when you say there's no days off or no weeks off, but there no games off, you know, but it really is and it's – it's um it's extremely competitive. I think this year in football was just as good as any year as far as the the depth. Um, we, there was no team that couldn't beat the other. 
I, I think Carl was extremely talented this year, but they also had a, a huge senior class. Um, so I, I just think it was, you know, ultra competitive. And and what happens a lot more that you deal with in football and baseball is the injuries that just occur. And it's a lot of things that could be nagging or, or just something that doesn't allow you to be full strength. And the changes that you have to make week in and week out um, that, again, nobody might realize. But it, it's, a, it's a grind. I, I do think that the kids, uh, they love it because every week's a big game. So, you, you know, you – a lot of weeks we show up, uh, you know, to install a game plan. We don't have to worry about, uh, I guess, as much, you know, if you're playing a lesser opponent um, because they don't, we don't have any. Uh, and I really thought our whole schedule was like that this year. It kind of felt like we played 10 weeks of the Catholic League. But uh, I think that's very difficult. Uh, and then the baseball side, it's, it's you know, just like always, it's about matchups and pitching. And um, I know we went through – went. A few years ago, we started playing three times a week, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And, and once you started doing that, it was about when your pitchers were lining up. So, you know, you might have your third guy going against somebody's best that day. And that's always got a lot to do with it in all levels. So, um, you know, baseball is a little bit different because, you know, it's, it's more about that guy on the mound can help you out a ton. Uh, whereas you don't really have that luxury in football. You got you to put 22 guys in the field. You know, one thing that goes up when I goes to Catholic League, I couldn't get used to was the routine because sometimes you play a Friday game and then a Saturday game and maybe even a Thursday game, and sometimes you're in a six day week or seven day week, and yeah. I never could get used to that. You know, because over here on the river, you play yeah. every Friday, and uh, and everybody scouts you, so the yeah. whole staff is there. So it's a coaching clinic at the game in the bleacher. So, but uh, but coach, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for taking your time, and don't forget that shirt. I wear extra large. Okay, and uh, you know, so and you don't have to wash it. I'll wash it for you. Okay, but thank you for doing this for for me tonight. All right, thanks, coach. Appreciate it. Sure, sure. We want to once again thank head coach Nick Monica for joining us on the Let's Be Frank video podcast. We want to like also thank LSR for sponsoring the Let's Be Frank video podcast. LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Ross's supermarkets. When we come back, we'll talk referees in football 101, dwindling numbers in high school football, and we'll talk about quarterback clubs. So remember, you're watching on Varsity Sports Now. Samuel Licardo Jr. and R.E.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, 
and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Starting in 1981 as an industrial vacuum truck company, A3M Vacuum Services has grown to be an industry leader in waste disposal services. Whether it's providing cleanup crews for plant maintenance or emergency crews for environmental cleanup and disposable projects around the river parishes and New Orleans, A3M Vacuum Services maintains the same level of personal customer relations and work ethic that founder Pat Sellers started almost 40 years ago. Proud supporters of Comet Athletics. If you're looking for commercial or residential dump truck services, go with R&K Construction. This family owned and operated business has great trucks and are big supporters of high school sports. Smoothie King LaPlace thanks the community for 29 years. Through the good times and the toughest times, Smoothie King has been here to serve our guests. Whether you're looking for a keto-friendly smoothie, a recovery smoothie, or a healthy, refreshing snack, Smoothie King has you covered. Discover all the ways to be your best self and rule the day with Smoothie King. If you're in need of storage space at your home or business, stop by and visit with the good folks at Acadia LLC. Seth Boudreaux and his employees are there weekdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Give them a shout at 985-359-1333 or visit them at 1301 West Airline Highway in Laplace. Welcome back to the Let's Be Frank video podcast, and we'd like to thank our sponsor, Riverlands Insurance, for being a part of this broadcast. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has always been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. We want to go ahead and look at the Let's Be Frank segment for today. And, Coach, you want to dive into the dwindling numbers in high school football. So, Coach, um, can you discuss what's called, why you believe that's happening and how that's impacting schools in general? Uh, I'd, I'd love to. That's a, This would be one of my favorite topics because, um, uh, you know, we all grew up with this great game. And, and what, I'm, what I'm finding out is that uh, there are a lot of kids that are not playing the sport. And, uh, you know, we're unique at St. Charles Catholic. We still have 100 players there. And there's some there's some programs that are still really, really big and very successful because of numbers. You need numbers. It's a it's a sport that requires that. Maybe you can platoon or, or something like that. That's a day for that's a story for another day. Well, what platooning really means. But uh, I got some things that that, uh, that I'd like to get off my chest. Number one is that. Uh, why, why, why? I, I saw a team the other night has over 500 kids in school, but yet they dressed out 35 players. And I, I said, I, I don't understand that. And, you know, I said, uh, so why? What's the reason for it? Well, number one, and I'm saying, because the kids that know that playing football is hard. It's year-round training. It's year-round training. You're gonna have to be there with the weight rooms. Year-round training. You can play the other sports, but it's year-round training. Uh, number two, you're gonna play ten games. You're gonna play ten games a year, and if you're lucky, you play more than that. You'll go in the playoffs. If you're lucky, you play a lot more. Where other sports allowed, you know, other sports you might play in, in basketball, for instance, you're gonna have a 32-game schedule, and maybe more with the summer. You might play 40 or 50, and, and, and so you know you can play more games. Where football, you're gonna play once a week for ten weeks. Baseball, you might play another uh, 32 game playoffs, and then with American Legion, you talk about more games there. So th- that's why you know kids they want to play and that sort of thing. Number three, practice and playing with the elements in football. 
I don't care if it's snowing outside, Justin, that's our producer. I don't care if it's snowing outside, if it's if the humidity is 100% uh, or, or whatever the conditions might be. If it's muddy, you're going outside the practice. And, you know, a lot of places don't have the luxury of turf fields. So, uh, you know, if you play another sport, you play basketball, for you're inside. You're in air conditioning and uh, stuff like that. And, you know, that that's that's a little bit different than, than the number four. You know, coaches are, are responsible. A lot of them, they're pigeonholing these kids. They're taking their kids and they're locking them up in the gym. And the baseball guy said, no, you don't go play this sport. You might get hurt. Uh, you might be, you, you, you know, you might be a major league prospect and stuff like that. So that's happening on, on, on every level that you're looking at. So they're taking their kids and, and they're keeping them as their own. That's very, very a selfish thing to do. Because I think a kid, just like my son, did, uh, you know, my, my two boys, they played three sports in high school. And I wanted to have that experience and to play that. You know, because I think that that's big. Their time will come in that sport where they will get better and have a lot, a lot of work to do. Number three, uh, uh, players have a, a tendency to choose the path of least resistance. You know, they, they have a tendency to do what's easy. So if I, I'll play a sport, that's easy. I'm going to go play soccer. It's easy. It's cheap. I'll, I'll, I'll go play basketball, I'll play inside. I'll go play baseball. It's a, it's a fun sport. I get the bat and I get the hit and the, or pitch or something like that. So it's easy. The, uh, number six, some are afraid. But all the hype out there, how, how tough football is, and, and uh, you know, it's a, it, it looks like it's a brutal sport. There are more rules now that really protect the player than ever before. And it's not nearly, nearly as, as, as rugged as it is. In fact, when we practice, we don't even take tackle kids on the ground anymore. And we don't even practice in full pads anymore. Most people have gotten away from that because if they have an injury, they want to make sure it does take place in, in the game. And uh, so you can have these soft tissue injuries. I understand that. But you can have that in any sport. You know, so especially the sport of soccer. It's a low extremity sport. There's a lot of knee, uh, knee injuries in, in the sport of soccer. So, um, But that's another thing. Okay. Uh, next, the, the, basket, the basketball guy, you know, he, he, he puts his players in the gym. And he tells them, he said, listen, uh, you guys need to stay here because I'm going to make you a great athlete and we're going to win. And, but, but my thing is, if I got a 6'3 guy and he's playing basketball, he's average on the college level. You take a 6'3", 6'4 guy in high school and you put him on a football field, he's a prospect. He's a recruitable athlete especially if he's got some skills. So as soon as he's out there, the coaches say, man, that's the wow factor that they want. Well, if he's in a gym playing all the time, and that's six foot three guys, you can go to every gym in America and find one like that. So the bottom line, these basketball coaches that are doing that are doing that kid a big, and that family a big disservice. You know, so look at Jimmy Graham that for years, I mean, he played one year college college football, ended up being a, a, a great all pro tight end at one time. A soccer a soccer, a lot of kids are going to soccer because it's cheap. It's cheap and it's easy. And it, it, they start playing at a young age. You go in the playgrounds now, and I mean, there's soccer goes all over the place. And some of those kids never go. They never go to football. And, uh, you know, I always went to the soccer coach just to get a kicker. But, I mean, most of those kids don't go to football. So that's eating away at it. Basketball eating away. Baseball eating away. Uh, when, there's a coach just the other day approached Approached our coach at school and says, Coach, how do you get your guys to play baseball and football? He says, because I got nine guys that can help me playing baseball. But they all think that they're going to be, you know, Derek Jeter, you know. So, and, and those, those schools are playing year-round. And the great orthopedics will tell you, listen, your arm needs rest. 
your arm needs rest. You don't. You have a kid that pitches in this league, then he goes to another league and pitches in another league, and all of a sudden you don't. There's no pitch count there, and who's controlling that? The LHSA at least has a pitch count attached to it. But you know, in baseball, every every parent thinks that their son's going to be the next Derek Jeter. And he'll pay big bucks to play travel baseball. We had that talker early in, in the show, and which I don't like. And next thing, parents themselves, parents themselves have gotten softer. I've had parents that well, I don't want my, and I'm talking about dads that will players themselves say, I don't want my son to play football. I don't want, I don't want him to get hurt. I don't. I said, what are you talking about? It, it's more than just playing football. It's about the camaraderie. It's about the structure that you put in his life and the accountability that you put in the kid's life. So it's, it's, that's what football gives you more than anything else, you know, that which, which people don't, don't understand, you know. And then they bring up, well, he didn't have time for it. You get all these excuses. He didn't have time. I wanted to study. I had a, one of my better football players played one year for me because he wanted to be the valedictorian. And he, he ended up being a valedictorian. But he played one year. But, but he could have played more. Than that, I said, wait a minute now, you, everybody on this team is going to study. Everybody's going to take the same courses. So I don't understand the thing, but, you know, a lot of it is they don't want to sacrifice their time with it. And there are a lot of a really selfish parents that they don't want to be burdened with bringing them to practice, picking them up from practice, and doing all the things that, that a real good parent should, should do. But let's, So that's my take. But, yes, what are the solutions for it, all right? Number one, the administration. Your administration has to be on top of this and be aware of that because they have to understand how important it is. My very first principal ever worked for at Lutcher High School, his name was Norman Buckner. He said he walked down the halls. If he saw someone, and he, that maybe a little meek kid, a boy or girl that was sort of shy, he'd go up to him and said, what do you do? You play football or do you play sports? And he said, no. He said, well, I want you to be a manager. And he'd tell a little girl, I want you to be a, a flag corps. I want you to be in the band. I want some that. He was really big in involvement. And that's that's thing. The administration needs to be on top of that to make sure that that, that takes place. Number two, your AD. The AD must, must show some structure and sit down with those coaches and say, wait a minute now. You're not, we're going to put rules in place where, you know, little simple rules that you can't go to another sport to this sport's over. I think that's that's easy rule to impl implement into your program. But you can't, you can't let a, a coach say, well, that's been highly successful, and I see it. I can name a ton of them right now. Been highly successful. None of their kids play any other sport. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the AD has to sit in there, and he has to he has to give them the rules right up front. So you have to have a strong AD. Three coaches have to buy into it. You can't have coaches that are selfish. They have to buy into it, and they have to create a great atmosphere to get that guy there. You know what I mean? Yeah, because if you, if you create a bad atmosphere, you can tell the success of a program by the coach. <coughs> Excuse me. So if you have a lot of numbers out there, that coach is doing something right. Those kids want to be out there. But if you see numbers really down, it's it's all about it's all about the coach and whether you want to be there or not. Parents. Parents must be supporting kids. That's number four. That's a solution. You got to get parents supporting the fact, I want my kid to play two sports. I want them to play three sports. Whatever it is, boys or girls, that, that's important. Five, players. Players themselves. I want a player to enjoy the journey in high school. I want a player to, to experience being at the line when it's one-on-one. -on -one. I want to be able to experience being at the plate with the three-two. I want to experience football, throwing a touchdown pass or catching a touchdown pass or making a game-winning tackle. You know, 
Desire Street Academy was a, a school that was created in New Orleans years ago and before it was closed down because of a hurricane. Uh, Danny, Danny Warford was the, he was the Heisman Trophy winner and he started the school here. He had a rule when he first started it that every boy in school had to play. It was all boys school. Every boy had to play two sports. I thought it was an awesome, awesome rule. And number six, college coaches, they cannot mandate that guys go to these so-called camps. In other words, they take them away from a school. Like in the middle of a football season, uh, here's a college coach having a baseball tryout. Well, those kids want to play college baseball at LSU. So he's having a baseball tryout in the middle of football season. Those kids are missing practice. They need to work together with the high school kid. So I think all of this and whatever, we need to increase our numbers or we're going to lose a very, very great sport and the greatest sport that that, that, that you can possibly have as far as team is concerned. Thank you, Coach, for that. And we're going to jump right into our next topic, which is going to be our Football 101 segment. So in Football 101, we want to talk about referees. So, Coach, can you give us the details on referees? Oh, this is very, very simple. It's not – It's not. To, we're not bashing referees in this one. It just tells you exactly <laughs> what they do. So, quickly, um, the officials and their duties. Because uh, a lot of people say, well, what is, how many officials do they have? Number one, in high school, especially in the playoffs now, uh, for the next few weeks, you will see seven officials. That's mandated by the state. The LHSA said you have to have seven. Uh, and there's some associations that are only doing five. But, you, but when you get to this far in the playoffs, there will be seven, and there will be two clock operators. So I'll go through. The white hat is known as the real referee. He's the guy that's behind, stands behind the quarterback, okay? And uh, he makes the signals into the press box, and if he's, if he's mic'd up with the mic, he will tell you what the infraction is, and sometimes might even tell you the number, which I wish they wouldn't do, you know? But he's called, he's called the white hat, and so he's in charge of the whole group out there. Then next you have the guy, they call him an umpire. He's not a baseball umpire. He's the guy that stands behind the defensive line. And sometimes, in a way, he's the guy that gets run over. In fact, what they've done in the NFL, they put him, they put him behind the, the, the quarterback just like the, he's opposite the referee. But the umpire is responsible for holding calls in the offensive line. He watches those five offensive linemen, making sure that they have the right numbers. He's responsible. He calls illegal procedures. He calls a, a, a snap infractions and things like that. And basically, but he calls holding in the line or chop blocks or something like that. That's his job. Then you have the headline. We say, well, what's the headline? The headline is the guy. He's opposite the press box. He's on the visiting side, and he's lined up on the line of scrimmage. He's lined up on the LOS. He's responsible for making alignment calls if somebody's offside. He's responsible for the chain crew. He's responsible for the, the down and distance guy to make sure that they move. He makes sure that they tag it. That there's a line. There's a tag that goes on the line to make sure that when they do measure that the, that the, the ten yards are, are correct. And then opposite him, on the other side, the line is the line judge. So you have the head linesman. The line judge is on the home side, and he basically makes sure there's no offsides and and, and things like that. And um, you know he makes sure that the that the, the the there's no holding on the perimeter or any play coming out that, that side like that offsides. He still can now remember any of these can call any any penalty that they want to. Okay, all right. Then you have the side judge. The side judge is. He's, a, he's a, on the side of the head linesman. He's 25 yards deep on the opposite side, 25 yards deep. So he's looking for interference calls, and he's also responsible for counting the numbers to make sure that 11 people on the field and not 12. 
Then you have the back judge. The back judge is the guy directly behind everybody, normally to the tight end side, okay? It's the back judge, he stands behind 25 yards deep behind everybody. He's normally looking for interference calls or, or things, like, things like that in the back, and he's also responsible for being underneath the upright on a PAT field goal. And then you have the field judge. The field judge is, you know, he's, a, he's also, He's also underneath the goalpost on that, and uh, he, he's deep in the field. So you have a field judge, you have a, a line judge, you have a back judge, side judge, you have a head linesman, umpire, and then you have the referee. So then, and the, now that's the seven on the field that you see. The other two are one is the clock operator, and he handles the clock, and that's a point of contention I've been talking about for the longest time. Is I don't know why they need to that send to somebody to operate the clock when uh, we can we can provide our own because we know our clock and um and i said and my argument there is that for basketball games they get a coach of somebody to do it from the home team as long as it's an ad though well anyway they, they send a clock operator and they send a 40 second clock operator so that's 40 second clock operator as most of you know by now it's been a good rule it's been a big adjustment they put in about three years ago is that soon the ball is set down the 40 second clock starts and i think that's that's been some uh, uniform in college also so those are the, the seven positions on the field and basically what, what they do and what their job is and and uh, you know these guys uh, they make in high school they make a little about a hundred dollars a game and uh and it's uh, unfortunate i'd love to see more young people get involved with it because uh, they certainly need uh, they certainly need more people because there's a shortage of officials as we speak Thank you, Coach, for that. And um, let's go ahead and take a look at our next segment, which is our Blitz the Ball Coach segment, where we get to ask you a, a question. And the question is, what opportunities did you have to leave the state or be a head coach in college? So, Jason, yeah, the, um, it's funny that question has come up a couple of times. You know, I was in college for 12 years, and I was off and on a couple of times. Uh, but but first of all, what it, what had happened in 19 when I went to Larry Smith hired me to go to Tulane in 1979. We went nine and two. We played Penn State in the Liberty Bowl. Right after the Liberty Bowl was over with um, Coach Smith, I shouldn't say right after. Sorry, we went through spring training, and in April the head coach at the University of Arizona left, and uh, so Coach Smith was was offered the job and he took it. And I remember it like yesterday. He offered me an opportunity to go with him to Arizona. And seeing that we had everybody coming back in 1980 at, at Tulane, uh, I decided, and, and things changed because there's a coach that promised a guy that to be a coordinator to go with him and uh, I was gonna go help him. I was gonna be the run coordinator. He was gonna be the pass coordinator, but that changed. So we both ended up staying. So that was a, a, a no move when I was part. And I only had one child at the time living in an apartment. So I could have I actually made the move. And since that time, Coach Smith went from there. He went to USC as the head coach, and then he ended his career at the University of Missouri. Uh, but the second time was that, you know, in 1984, Mac Brown took the Tulane job. And, and, I, and, 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 and I had just left the, the college ranks, and I was at Jesuit High School at the time. And, and, and uh, Coach Brown offered me a position to go back with him. And uh, I mean, I mulled over that over and over again. I, I didn't know if I wanted to get burned again in college. And uh, so I just, I turned him down. But from there, he, he wins and he goes to North Carolina. And, the, and then from there, he went to the University of Texas. Now, as most of you know, he's back at North Carolina. So that was, a, that was another no move and, uh, on my part. And, and, um, and then in the 90s, early 90s, I was offered a position. I, I want people to know, I applied for the, the Nickel State job four times. 
on four different occasions. It might if four times might have been five. Well, one particular time they offered it to me as an AD and slash head, head football coach, and then the circumstances were different because I was I had just become a coordinator at Tulane. And the coach gave me a little a little raise and the whole deal, and I ended up so that I turned that down. So uh, I had an opportunity to, to go there, and I had some some minor. Uh, inquiries and in, in, um, at, at a couple places, you know, the um, uh, one was being assistant, believe it or not, at Oregon State or Mississippi State. A good friend of mine that was the coordinator at Mississippi State, the name is Lynn Amadee. And uh, then a, a guy that he gave me a standing opening to go to Marshall University with him, and, and I decided not to go. But I look back at it, Jason, as far as career moves, um, I wouldn't swap my, it would happen for nothing in the world, but I look at it as far as career move. Had I moved out of state, I think I, I had an opportunity to come back as a head coach at somewhere, the LSU or Tulane, because people, as soon as you leave the state, you, they think your resume explodes, you know, your resume, and they think you're more valuable of a commodity. But if you stay here, they say, well, maybe his resume is the same. But as soon as you lose, leave the state for a couple of years, all of a sudden they think that you're a lot smarter person. So, But uh, basically, I uh, just want to clear that up because uh, people have asked me that several times. Coach, do you think that uh, you, you mentioned the fact that if you leave the state, then sometimes somehow you become this more valuable commodity? Do you believe that's because it's like you want what you don't have type of thing? Like if you're in state, then you are an attainable coach. You're you're an attainable commodity. But once you leave, it's like, well, we want we want everybody else getting to to reap the rewards of this guy that grew up in our state. It almost comes across like that because it's. You're not the first person I've heard say that, and I've seen that at all levels of, of the college game where guys go out of state or they're an assistant coach at a school, and everybody's like, well, this guy would have been a great coach, but nobody wanted to hire him at the time. But as soon as they bolt for the door, they, everybody's trying to call for them to come back. Oh, Jason, in the coaching profession, especially in football, it's the only profession that I know of people don't hire for resume. You know, I, 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 people don't just look at well, this guy looks good. I'm gonna hire him. It's all about contacts, and it's all about the people that stay on the phone and making contacts and keeping up with people. And you know him, and you know this guy's so forth. I mean, but they're not gonna pick up a sheet of paper and look at your resume that. So, but but yes, I'm, I'm telling you, had I left the state, all of a sudden being the same guy with the same amount of knowledge, had I left the state for a year or two, gone to Arizona a couple of times. And then all of a sudden, you, the, the, the people at LSU or Tulane would call you back. You know what I mean? Because they think you've expanded your knowledge and now you're a smarter person. And I've seen it happen in a lot, a lot of places. Could you have any regret not going back to the college game a little bit sooner again? I know you, you were at St. Charles for quite some time. Is there any seed in the back of your mind that kind of says, what if? No, it, 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 there was not, you know, because once I got settled in and, and, and slept in my own bed every night and got away from the recruiting scene, I loved recruiting. I thought recruiting was just an extension of the season. I looked at it as a game. I couldn't wait to get out there and, and try to beat somebody on a, on a player. You know what I mean? I thought that was that was really refreshing and stimulating. But but uh, I, I didn't miss a lot of things with it. Uh, you know, but, but I learned so much by being the college coach because you sit in the room 16 hours, and that's what it was, 16 hours a day, seven days a week. You're going to learn some football. You know what I mean? Even if you're a mushroom, you're going to learn something. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, 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 but, the, but the bottom line is I didn't miss the hours. I slept in my office two nights a week. You know, didn't see my kids grow up. And, uh, and I, the, the, my two boys, I didn't see them play, uh, you know, in, in football. I might have seen them play maybe uh, five games or something like that. So that was, that was pretty rough. But on the flip side of it, 
I look back at it, the money they're paying them now, just compared to what I made. I mean, you know, it, 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 was, it was just unbelievable. But uh, uh, they're paying, they're paying the, the lowest assistants making six figures. And nobody on our staff at that time made six figures. The head coach did, and I was about the only one. Thanks, Coach, and I uh, appreciate looking uh, looking at that. And let's go ahead and talk about your Thanks for the Memory segment where you want to discuss quarterback club. Yeah, this is this is, this is something that I didn't get a chance to – I wish I, I knew I remembered all of those. When I first went to Lutcher High School, I was an assistant, and, and they had a quarterback club that they weren't doing very well because you know, things were not good. They had, they had a – Oh, grumpy coach and that sort of thing. And, and uh, so we try to revive the quarterback club. Now, Electro High School probably has the most vibrant quarterback club in the whole state. I mean, they average over 150 members every Tuesday night. Uh, they, they, serve, they serve a great meal, you know, and um, it's, it's the same chicken and dirt rice. And uh, it was funny. They'll serve 700 plates out of the back out of the back and nobody in Lutcher cooks on Tuesday night. You know, they, they go get that plate and the whole deal. But anyway, we built that thing up at that time. And, um, it, you know, and, and I, since that time, we had a, we had a, a good one. Riverside had one. Uh, St. Charles still has theirs on, on a Tuesday night. And, um, you know, I just want to thank all those, those presidents of those quarterback club and their board members and the other people that participated in it because they, they did so much for you especially those quarterback club presidents. They had to organize the meetings and plus do all these projects on the, on the outside. And I, I just wish I had a list of all my former quarterback club presidents. And, um, and I need to research it to, 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 to send them a Christmas card one day because uh, special thanks to them. They, they were phenomenal. Um, but the organization starts with the leader, and that leader would, would get people out there and get people on the board. Uh, they were prepared to support the program. You know, they did things that give you, uh, things like like uh, you know fix things for you if you call them up on the phone i need i need a, this electro wire fixed i need to put up this light pole or something like that i need a lawnmower fixed and those guys would be there and they couldn't wait to be to do it because they're most of the time their kid was on the team and, and stuff like that but um you know i, I want to break down the, what be, basically what happens uh, so you, all these meetings because like i said i started when i jesuit high school in the and the, the priest said, wait a minute now. He said, you're going to have a quarterback club? He said, tell me how this works. I said, well, this will do. We have a meeting, and I have a guest speaker. And then I'll get up there to talk, and I'll answer questions. He said, you're going to answer questions? I said, yes. He said, I can't wait to see this. They had not heard of that before. You know, I said, well, I'd rather give them information right there on the spot on the podium and where you're not talking about it in the bleachers. If somebody asked why you did something, why did you make this call? I want them to know why I made that particular call or, or something like that. So, But basically, this the, the format would be like uh, the president would call the meeting in order. Then they would, everybody would go eat. There's a plate, and they always have, you know, there's always food around. I mean, no matter what they do. Uh, they always they they always eat, especially in the country. They they, they serve food for everything. So anyway, the um, then after the meal, they they normally have a guest speaker. They would get a college coach or a coach somewhere, or maybe a sportscaster or a sports writer from somewhere that has a high school interest, and you speak. And then the head coach gets up. The head coach will talk about you talk about his team, and then he would talk about he would talk about the give a basically a scout report of the previous week, and then a scout report of the upcoming opponent. And, uh, and so they always had other fun things like door prizes and stuff like that. But, uh, and, but the biggest thing is after that, the season was over, they got involved with fundraising. I know at St. Charles County, we had the biggest golf tournament in the state. 
I mean, we had something like 80 something teams in the golf tournament. And, uh, and that, that money generated from that, uh, it pays for bus trip, pregame meals, postgame meals, and so many other equipment items that you might need for the weight room or stuff like that. And I mean, it's, it's prices what they can do for you. And, um, you know, even, even, uh, you know, the big thing is uh, I didn't mind the question and answer. I didn't mind that at all because I wanted them to know. I mean, if they knew more football than me, good. They could be on my staff. I'd give them my whistle. But the the, the bottom line is that I wanted to answer a question for them because I didn't want them to go in the bleachers and say, hey, this is such and such. But somebody could say, and be, wait a minute, if you'd have been in the meeting. And I used to get upset if somebody would call the front office and say, well, what time did Junior Varsity game? And I would say, if you'd been in the meeting, you would know. Because all that information, it's all about being transparent. That's a new guru word. If you're transparent with your parents, they understand what's going on. They all want to know what's going on, whether you give them a written itinerary or whatever. But basically, the quarterback club presidents and the board members, to me, have been priceless over the years. And and those places like Lutcher was still still going strong. Uh, we had a big one. Still got a real, real big one at St. Charles Cafe. I know Riverside still has theirs. And, uh, and Jesuit High School no longer has theirs. But but the, the bottom line, I can't say enough about those people that have helped me through the years. And, and thank you very much for, for helping me out. Thanks, Coach. And we want to go ahead and take a look at our last segment, which is our lock of the week. Uh, I've, I've been atrocious this year, so... Um, you actually made me change my pick because we, we discussed before who you were taking. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to pick a completely different game so I can jinx somebody else. So uh, go ahead and let us know who you took. I'm going to pick Utah. And Utah is a, is a dog, a three-point dog. And I'm going to pick them. And only I'm basing this on, I think USC is a good football team. But but I think they'll be a little down after that big win last week in, in the championship game. I'm going to go the opposite way, uh, not with that game in particular, but in terms of from a big win to a big loss. Clemson, minus seven and a half against North Carolina. I haven't been a massive believer in North Carolina. They pulled out some some wins versus some smaller schools by the skin of their teeth multiple weeks earlier on in the year. Again, I, I don't think they've really um, lived up to their billing for the majority of the season. And I think Clemson is going to be coming off that loss a tough loss to an in-state opponent, and they're going to look to take it out on North Carolina. So Clemson with the seven and a half points. Um, and that'll do it for tonight's show. So make sure to follow us on our social media. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, on Facebook, it's the Let's Be Frank Video Podcast. Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok is the LBF Podcast. And you can also listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and and also on YouTube. So uh, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll be back here once again next week. So we want to thank you guys again for listening. So for Justin Thomas, for Head Coach Frank Monica, I'm Jason Dewey, and remember, bless the ball, and love the good time, Joel. God bless everybody. Good night.